Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Um, have you ever played the lottery? Now you can be honest. Vertical Church, if, if you can't be anything in Vertical Church, you can be honest. Raise your hand. I've got my hand up. Come on. You played the lottery. I've played the lottery. We don't endorse playing the lottery, but should you win... We will not deny you the opportunity to receive the blessing of God of giving back into your local church. Now, I've played the lottery. You've played the lottery. Some people play only, you know, when it, when it gets really high. How many of you, like, do you have a number? Like, if it gets over $200 million, I'm buying a ticket. Is that, is that anybody in the, yeah, anybody else in the room? Like, like if it gets over $300 million, I don't care about my ethics and my, you know, it's just a tax on poor. I don't care about any of that. I'm buying a ticket when it gets over $300 million. Anybody like that? If you won. And we've all imagined these scenarios, right? Like, I'm not the only one that sat around the, the table like, man, if I won the lottery, you know what I would do first? Anybody ever make a list like that in your head? Like, I, here's what the first thing I would do. Well, let me ask you a question, just kind of, you know, to kick off what we're talking about today. If you won the lottery, and it was $200 million, okay? $200 million Powerball. Now, that's not what it's at right now. Right now, I think it's like, $60 million if somebody didn't win last night. I don't know. I don't keep up with it until the billboards go up. $250 million bajillion. All right. 7-Eleven's going to be packed. People buying lottery tickets. Anyway, um, you won the lottery. Would you, take, would you take a lump sum or would you take it kind of, you know, uh, installment plan? Which one would you just shout it out? Which one would you do? Exactly. Nobody wants an installment plan. You're not making money off of my money. I'll, we'll give it to you slowly. No, you'll give it to me right now, Jack. That's my money. I won the lottery. I want my lump sum. Well, if you won $200 million, I think you would end up after, after they take their cut of the lump sum and then, you know, the government's got to get their, their slice of the pie, too. I think, I read somewhere, if you won somewhere around $200 million, you would actually get $80 million. That's what you would receive. And, and some of you are like, man, you lose $120 million. I don't care. Because I don't see that I lost $120 million. I see that I gained $80 million. You know, sweet, $80 million. But they wouldn't give it to you in just a big check. You know, they take those pictures of the big checks. You can't take that to your bank. Like, they won't cash that. Uh, sorry, it's not legal size. I don't know. They, they don't cash those checks. What they do is they direct deposit it into your account. They don't, they don't write you a check. They just It's going to appear in your bank account in three to five business days. Now, if you're like me, once we hit business day three, I am not leaving my computer. I've got online banking pulled up, and I'm just refreshing all, all day. When's it? It's going to hit sometime, and I'm going to be the first person to know. The bank's not even going to know. I'm, going to, I'm just going to refresh all day. But the thing is, when it hits your bank, if you've ever made a large deposit, you know this already. It's not available. And that's annoying. Have you ever had that happen? Like you deposit a check, and it's got to clear? You've got to wait three to three more days before it, before it actually hits your account. So you can't spend the money even though it's already there. 
That's annoying, but the same thing would happen to us if we won the lottery. $80 million, boom, it's on my account. I can see the numbers, and yet there's probably this italicized little description that says pending. That's annoying. So you know what we're doing for three more days? Refresh. 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 It's going to hit. One, one, one of these days, it's going to hit, and I'm going to have $80 million in my account. Now let me ask you this question. Y'all are good people, you're honest, you're truth tellers. On the day that it becomes available for you to spend, does your life change on that day? Does your life change? Yes, it does. <laughs> Some of y'all are acting too holy. Well, Pastor Josh, my life, would I would, I would keep the same job. I, would, I wouldn't buy anything new. I would drive the same beat-up car that I've driven for 20 No, you wouldn't. You are a liar. You need to repent. You know your life would change. You would go out and spend it that day. Not all 80 million of it. Hopefully you're a little more responsible than that. But your life would change. You've got $80 million in your bank account. Probably spread out. I don't, I'm not a financial advisor. I don't know how it ends up happening. But of course your life changes on the day that it's verified. You start spending it. You've already got your list. You know, first thing I'm going to do is buy mama a house. Because I told her I would. You start spending it immediately. Well, the first three chapters of Ephesians, see where we're going with this, is kind of like Paul saying, you just won the lottery. Let the, I know it's like not the perfect analogy, but, but the first three chapters, Paul is writing in this letter to the Ephesian church that we've been looking at here. If this is your first or second time with us, we've been in the book of Ephesians, dear Lord, since like the first of June. And we're just now halfway through. It's like part 73 or something. Um, but but he, he's been saying for the first three chapters, here's what God has done for you. Here's what God is doing in you. Look at the love of God that's been, it's a mystery. It's so great. We can't really even grasp it all. We just came out of Paul's praise party at the end of chapter 3 where he said, now to the one who can do immeasurably more that you can't gra try to grasp it, but, but you can't grasp how high and de deep and wide and long the love of God is. It's, he, says, he says, it's like when in the lottery. You've won the lottery because when you joined yourself to Christ, when you came in Christ on that day, every spiritual blessing was directly deposited into your account. But there's no waiting period. You don't have to take it on the installment plan. <laughs> you don't have to wait for the funds to be verified. It's available immediately. It's what Paul's been saying for three chapters. He's, he's been asking the question, have you, have you refreshed your page? Have you checked your account lately? Have you checked your, your, your spiritual account lately to see what God has been depositing in your life? Do you know what's in there? It would be like winning the lottery and never checking your bank balance. You wouldn't know what was in there. You wouldn't know what you could spend. And Paul's saying, do you know What's in your account? Have you been checking on it? Have you been updating and refreshing to see what's in there? And then we come to chapter 4. And he transitions. He, 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 he begins a new section, kind of a new emphasis. All, all of the first three chapters, he's kind of just been unpacking what God has done. 
Unpacking the mystery of Jesus. Unpacking the love of God that has just been flow, like, like flung into our lives. That is so great that we can't really comprehend all of it. That's why he calls it a mystery. And he hits chapter 4 and, and he changes the tone of his, of his conversation. The tone of the letter shifts because he moves from unpacking the, the, the greatness of God and the glory of God to now kind of asking the question, what do we do now? Seeing as what has been deposited into our account, since you won the lottery, how are you going to spend it? What are, you, what are you going to do now? How is your life going to change as a result of what God has done in you and God is doing for you and God is going to do through you? And so, so the first three or four verses of chapter 4 really set us up for the rest of the letter. Matter, matter of fact, most of, most of the rest of the letter is really just an, a, an application of the verses that we're going to read Today he's going to talk in in chapter uh, five about about relationships, uh, husbands and wives. He's going to talk in chapter six about parents and and and, and then because of the time period this was written in chapter uh, I think it's chapter six he talks about masters and slaves and we're going to get into all of that. But we have to start with his emphasis in chapter four when he says this verse one. Look at this. If you have a Bible, that's cool. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you have your phone, you can follow along. If you have the Bible app. Verse 1, chapter 4. Look at this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Just to remind you, Paul is in prison while he's writing this. He's in a Roman prison. But he's already told us that just because he's a prisoner of Rome, that doesn't mean his identity is a Roman prisoner. Uh, he, if he's going to be a prisoner, he's going to be a prisoner for Jesus. And so he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. My identity is not in the circumstances that I find myself in, but the God who has saved me. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And so I urge you, and look what he says. This sets us up for the next, I think, eight weeks. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right after that that. that, that outburst of praise at the end of chapter 3, the God who can do immeasurably more, than all we could ask or imagine. He, he comes right on the heels of that. And, and, and here's kind of the bottom line, the big idea. You want to write this down. If you don't get anything else, you want to tweet this, whatever. Here's what, he's, here, here's what is, he's saying in this verse. It's time to walk out what you're walking in. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about what you're walking in. You're walking in the love of God. You're walking in the grace of God. You're walking in the story of God, the goodness of God, what He's done through Christ for you and for me. Now when he gets to chapter 4, he says it's time to walk out what you're walking in. It's time to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the, 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 the grace of God that has, that has saved you and has saved me. Now that you know what's going on, now that, now that you see clearly what Christ has done, it's time to live it out. In other words, it's time to start spending what's in your account. You won the lottery. It's time to start spending some of that $80 million. Don't, don't, it would be, be a waste, man, just to let, those, uh, let that pile up in the corner and just sit there and never access it and then die and, and, and be that kind of person that's like you died with a bunch of money that you never spent. Like, what good's it going to do you? 
We arrive at the end of our lives. Jesus, did you know everything I, I deposited in your account? Yeah. Well, why didn't you spend any of it? Why didn't you access the love that I had poured in you? Why didn't you, why didn't you rest in my acceptance? Why did you keep searching for approval? Why didn't you live on mission? You didn't tap into anything that I was pouring into your life. And so for the rest of the letter, Paul is going to get up in our grill. He's going to read our email. He's even going to log on and check our private Facebook messages to say, walk out what you've been walking in. But, but when we read this and we say worthy of the calling, we're so preconditioned for a religion of rules that we automatically assume that walking out must mean, oh, I, you had me for a second, Pastor Josh. I thought this was, I thought this was all about, you know, grace and love. And here's the Christianity that I know, the rules, the regular, okay, I get it now. For, for a long, for a past couple of months, your emphasis has been on, you know, you don't have to be good enough. But now I see we finally got there, didn't we? We finally got to the place where, We've got to measure up and we've got to create our, our list of, 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 of behaviors that we have to modify our lives so that we measure up to God's preference for our life. Because we're so preconditioned for that, that religious kind of mindset of how we relate to God. Even though Paul spent the first three chapters telling us you're loved, God is great, God loves you more than you can imagine. Look what he's done. He's made warring groups one, and he's, he's done this all in Jesus. Now, because of that, we forget all of that, and we automatically assume, oh, I'll never measure up. How am I going to walk worthy of God? And we've we, we take a real easy, it's real easy to take a wrong turn. We get nervous and we feel defeated. I'll never be worthy enough. How am I? And then, and we can kind of just come to the conclusion that I guess life really is, after all, just a giant scoreboard. Or just taking score. Can you be good enough? Can you measure up? Can you be worthy of the love of God? I see it now. There's, Paul just did it for us. Big scoreboard. There it is. That's what I've always thought was true about Christianity, and now it's confirmed. But I think we're totally missing what Paul is actually saying here because if we just stick with him for a while, what he's going to tell us is that, is that the same way we received the love of God, the same way we received the calling, the salvation that Christ gives us is the same way we live it out. Grace in us. Grace through us. It's, it's just about spending every bit of what God is depositing into our accounts. Except God doesn't just make a one-time lump sum deposit. Not only when you win the lottery of salvation do you get your lump sum, but it does come in installments. You get it all, and as you spend it, more is deposited. Like, you wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I just tapped out all of God's forgiveness the, yesterday. He's got nothing left for me. Let me check my account. Oh, wow. While I was asleep, he filled it back up. There's more forgiveness. I, it's not all gone. I didn't use it all. It's the interesting thing about God. And that's what we're going to, to talk about, the, being worthy 
of the calling of Christ. And the calling, you know, that, that's not like a uni- unique purpose. We, we talk about that, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about here is, is being saved by God alone. That God is the one who has saved us. Jesus is our way uh, to, to God. We, there's no other name by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. And he's saying we come to God that way. And he's basically, I mean, I'm trying not to oversimplify it, but he's, he's kind of telling us, look, if God's love is so great, if his salvation is so powerful, then we ought to live accordingly. If he's pouring this into our lives, then that is what should go out of our lives. It's just, it's like simple logic. What goes in, comes out. Here's what he's poured in. Now let's talk about how we get it out. And there's much, you know, we have all kinds of misconceptions. We could think it's either all about rules and we got to measure up, or we could think that there's absolutely nothing required of followers of Jesus. And that's not what, like Paul doesn't have this hiccup. He doesn't have this hang up. He, he's not concerned with either of these misconceptions. Because we can kind of get the attitude like, oh, well, you're trying to, trying to be holier than thou who you think you are you're not perfect i'm not trying to be perfect i'm just trying to live out what christ is living in me i'm just trying to walk out what i'm walking in it's not a list of do's and don'ts it's just the love of god motivating and animating our very lives you see i think not not to to step on your proverbial toes too much but this week, I just had the thought, you know, it's like we have an $80 million salvation, but a $5 response. It's like we've won the lottery of salvation, and our response is like five bucks. And, and I, think, I think all that Paul's saying is sometimes we come across as unimpressed by God's love, unaffected by it. Oh, that's great. That's cool. I'm just going to, you know, do my own thing. You can pour all of that in me. But, but if it's authentic, it's what it, that's the word. I mean, gosh, that's, that's really, we could boil it all down to, to one word, authentic. Paul's just saying, I want you to be authentic. I want you to have integrity. If God's love is pouring into your life, then let it flow out of your life. So how do we do that? Like, how, okay, all right, so it's just, you know, about just, you know, walk it out. Walk, walk, you remember that song, Walk It Out? Anybody else singing that in their head? Yeah, I was too this week. Uh, you shouldn't. You should not Google that and watch it on YouTube. Um, it's not healthy for you. Um, so how do we do this? You know, how how do we go about walking out the love of God? That's what Paul tells us in the next few verses. And I've got three points. It's a good three-point sermon today. I've got three things that that I think Paul tells us of how we walk it out in in the arenas of life that we walk it out. Look at this first. Next two verses, verses 2 and 3. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first way I think we walk it out is we have to, we, we walk like Jesus walks in how we deal with each other. We walk like Jesus walks. Paul lists five characteristics of, of, of how we should walk in relationship with each other. The first thing he says is we should walk with humility. With humility. The first thing on the list, the number one thing Paul says is we should be humble. He attacks our ego. He attacks our pride. Number one on the list. Here's how we walk together. 
If, if we're going to be in Christ together, here's how we walk together. And the first thing is to be humble. Because God's first work in our life is nearly always to destroy our egos. Not to humiliate, humiliate us or annihilate us, but to bring us into relationship with God. Because if we're so egotistical and prideful, we can start thinking that I've saved myself. And so the first thing he does is, is he waylays our pride and our arrogance. This is what Jesus says. He says, look, if you want to find your life, you've got to lose it. Those are the words of Christ. To, to, to find your life, you must lose it. You must deny yourself, Jesus would say. Humble. Humility, lowliness of mind, not thinking higher of yourself than you ought. You know what our number one problem is when we try to relate with each other? Our egos, our pride, our tendency to want to either uh, protect ourselves or promote ourselves. Can you imagine how much easier human relationships would be if you entered into it and everybody had the same thought, I'm not here to protect myself and I'm not here to promote myself. I'm here to authentically love you with the love that Christ has loved me. Can you imagine the kind of authentic integrity relationships we would have with each other? I, I'm not here to protect myself, defend myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to... to to gain uh, acceptance or, 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 or be envious of what you have or be, be greedy or any. I'm just, I'm just here. I'm not self-centered. I'm not self-seeking. I'm, I'm, I'm just here. No agenda of self-promotion or self-protection. Just want to relate to you authentically as another person loved by God. Paul says, number one, we got to give up self-seeking. We've got to give up uh, the idea that, that we are the center of our own universe. That, that we are the center of our world. He says, when we want to walk with each other, when we're going to walk it out in relationship with each other, we have to walk like Jesus, and Jesus was humble. We're going to walk like that. And number two, he says, with gentleness. Let me ask you a question. Would people describe you as gentle? Like, if, if we were going to describe your, your personality and your attitude, would we use the word gentle? You know, we live in a world that, that is so harsh, <laughs> so violent, so, so much on the offensive. Even in Christian, uh, Christian culture, we're so hostile with each other and with the world around us to the point where people don't really want to be around us. Because when we are right, we are repulsively right. Would people describe you and me as gentle? Would, gentleness conveys this idea of sensitivity. Of, of, of a desire not to inflict harm. Of, of an authentic care about the other person. It's kind of like, really, we should all walk around with signs that say fragile. <laughs> Handle with care. Just to remind us to be gentle with one another. If we're going to walk together, if we're going to walk it out with each other, we have to be gentle with one another. Number, number three, he says you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. I love, there's an early church father. He, he lived in the late 300s. His name was John Chrysostom. I'll try to say that correctly. Um, 
you probably say it better than I can. But anyway, I love the way he described patience. He said patience is, is having a wide and big soul. Here's what he says. He says, patience is the exercise of a largeness, a largeness of soul that can endure with each other. You know what that means? You can endure the annoying things about other people. That's patience. You can endure the difficulties that come in a relationship. You have patience. Our culture, man, we don't like waiting on anything. You know, I want it now. Microwave not too fast. Or not fast enough, I mean. Microwave's too slow. That's what I'm saying. It's like, like I don't have time to put my Pop-Tart in the toaster. I'm going to put it in the microwave for three seconds so I can get out the door. I want to wait. <laughs> We're not patient with each other. Matter of fact, we're not patient with people in the church. You come in, you got problems, you got issues, you got difficulties. We don't want to wait for you. But patience, Christ modeled patience is to give people the space to mature at their own rate rather than demanding them to be all right right now. <laughs> all right, you accepted Jesus, you joined your life, you're in Christ, that's great. You got to clean up, bro. Just straighten up now. You can't come to church. You can't say that at small group. You can't use those kind of words around. What? We have to be patient with one another. That's how we walk together, walking it out with each other. We, we have patience. In Barcelona, Spain, there's this church that's being built. Uh, I'm probably going to totally kill the Spanish language, but this church is called Sagrada Familia. If you speak Spanish, I am so sorry. Construction of this church began in 1882, and they're still building it. It's not finished. Projected to be finished in 2026. The guy who designed it, his name was Antoni Gauda. I think is how you pronounce it. Again, so sorry if I'm killing that name. Even when he was alive... They knew it was taking a long time. In the 20s, and it still wasn't finished, 1920s, it still wasn't finished, somebody asked him, they said, you know, are you stressed out that the project is taking so long? And here's what he said. He said, don't worry, my client's not in a hurry. You, you get, my client's not in a hurry. God's patient. He's not, he's not pressed for time. I'm so glad that God is patient with me. Because let me tell you something, I would test your patience. <laughs> if, if you were trying to, to, to relate with me uh, like God relates to us, I would test your patience. I would get on your nerves. You would be fed up with me. But I'm so glad that God doesn't give up on me. I'm glad God doesn't give up on you. I'm glad he, he hangs in with us every day, even today. Like, like today, his mercy is not going to run out. His grace is not going to be exhausted. His love is not going to reach its maximum ability in our lives. Why? Because he's patient with you and me. And Paul says if we are going to walk like Christ with each other, we must walk with patience. I love this one. He says we got to bear with one another in love because some of us can be a bear. That literally, he says, we got to put up with each other in love. We've got to put up with each other. If we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received, we got to put up with each other. You want to know why? Because let's face it, some of us, 
we're annoying. Sometimes I'm a burden. Sometimes I'm aggravating. Sometimes I can be a pain. And Paul says we got to put up with each other. We've got to bear with each other. We've got to treat each other like Jesus treats us. I'm so glad Jesus doesn't look at me. I'm so glad he doesn't look at you and says, say, say, I can't put up with you anymore. I'm done. I can't put up with you anymore. You know, the opposite of love is not hate. Did you know that? It's not hate. It's indifference. It's the willingness to write somebody off. Like, I can't put up with you anymore. I don't hate you. I'm just indifferent about you. You don't matter, so I'm not going to put up with you. And Paul says, if we're going to walk it out, love does not allow us to write people off. Love will not allow us to to stop putting up with people. We put up with each other in love, but we put up with each other. Number five, he says, eager, characteristics of what it looks like to walk like Jesus. He says, we're going to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, he doesn't say that the goal is to maintain unity, like we all got to look the same and act the same. He doesn't even say that the, the goal is to have peace. He says the goal is to maintain the what? The unity of the Spirit. What, what, what's that mean? It means the church is all about Jesus. And Jesus gets glory when the Spirit is in the house. But if we can't maintain the unity of the Spirit, even though Jesus has made peace with me, if I can't make peace with you, then the Spirit I really like to hang out in a place like that. You know what grieves the Holy Spirit more than just about anything? It's when, it's when you and I can't make peace with each other. Even though Christ has made peace with us. Paul says, Paul says it's, it's understanding that what unites us is far greater than what separates us. Are we all the same? No. Do we have different beliefs and ideas even about God? Absolutely. But our shared identity in Christ is greater than any difference that we come across. Political differences, economic differences. Man, you know how it's gotten so crazy. Billy Graham's grandson is saying, we got to lay off the politics in church. Billy Graham's grandson. You know if we've gotten that far, we've gone way too far. He says, he says, if a person is a follower of Jesus, we belong to each other. Even if we don't like each other. We belong one to another. So we have to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's how we're going to walk it out with Jesus, like Jesus as he's walking it out with us. Number two, as we go to the next uh, verse, number two, how do we walk it out? What, how do we walk out what we're walking in? Well, we walk like Jesus walks as we relate to each other. Number two, we walk under one name. It's kind of an expansion of the idea of unity of the Spirit. We walk under one name. Look at this, verses four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. Look how many times he says the word one. One hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The church works. We are able to walk out what we're walking in when we are committed to one name, one cause, 
one issue, Jesus Christ. When when we have a unity of focus, I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer is a, a Christian uh, thinker, one of the more recent kind of in our, in our history. Maybe you've read something that he's written. I love this quote that he, he kind of hits this, man, just straight on. Look what he says. It's going to be on the screen. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord. Look what he says. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other. We don't tune to our, 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 ourselves. We don't tune horizontally, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. And he goes on to say, he says, So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. How do we bear with one another? How do we walk it out with each other? How do we put up with one another? How do we maintain the unity of the Spirit? How do we practice patience and humility and gentleness? It's not in a striving attempt to check those things off of some metaphorical list in our mind. Paul says, we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Focused on Him. Because if we all keep our eyes focused that way, we'll be in tune with each other. We'll be in unity. If I'm looking at Jesus and you're looking at Jesus and we're all looking at Jesus, we'll have unity. We'll have patience with each other. We'll bear with each other. We'll be gentle with each other. We'll be humble in our lives. Number three. Number three, here we go. Look at this. How do we walk it out? Well, we walk with Je- we walk like Jesus walked. We walk under one name. And, and, and here's, the, here's the kicker. We walk in the grace given us by Jesus. Look what he says, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. But grace was given to each one of us. What was given? Grace. How was it given? According to the measure of Christ's gift. And then look what he says. He kind of, he tells the story real quickly in just a couple of lines of how grace came into your life and into my life and how we walk out what we're walking in. Look what he says, verse 8. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what it meant, what it, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. And he who descended is the is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. How do we walk out what we're walking in? We will walk like Jesus. In relationship to each other. We walk under one name. We walk in the grace that comes to us by Jesus. It's the same way that, that, that we started walking in it. <laughs> it's the same method that we come to know Christ. He ascended and descended and ascended again. 
How do we do this, Paul? How do we, how do we live worthy? How do we walk worthy? You walk in the grace that you've already been given. Because Christ, because look, verse 7, because grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We walk in the grace that's been given us. The same Jesus who has already walked it out, mind you. That's what he says. He says he descended. He walked here. He lived here. He faced annoying people like you face. And that same one who descended, ascended, and gives grace to you and me. Not only that, but he says he's filling all things. And you know what all things includes? You and me. He's filling us. What is he filling us with? He's filling us with love. He's filling us with grace. He's filling us with humility and gentleness and patience. The ability to put up with each other. The eagerness to maintain unity of the Spirit. That's what He's filling us with. So here's what He says. Just live out what He's filling in. Just live out of what He's filling in your life. It's not about... It's not about a, a cosmic scoreboard where you've got to measure up to be worthy. You just live out the grace that He's pouring in your life. And when you think you've tapped into it and you've exhausted it, check your account again. Because you're going to see your balance hasn't gone down. you got just as much as you started the day with. Even though you've tapped it and tapped it and tapped it and spent, 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 spent. Your balance hasn't changed. It still says full. <laughs> we can't count anymore. The bank has exploded. We are no longer able to process any transactions because you have too much in your account. I have never had that problem. I hope you do. <laughs> Just live out what He's filling in your life. Let me pray for you this morning. Dear Jesus, we, we come out of the first three chapters of this letter feeling like we've just won the lottery. Like you could not be a better God. You couldn't do more in us and for us and through us. And you couldn't enliven us more. You couldn't do anything else. And yet our response seems to be we're living without accessing. Our account is full and we're not spending. You've been patient with us and we're not being patient with others. We're not letting it flow through us to them. We've stopped it up. We've put a plug on it. God, today my prayer is that we wouldn't hear a, a message of do, do, you got to do better. You're not doing good enough. You're not, but that we would just hear that, man, God, you're, you're pouring so much into our lives. You just want it to overflow us and go into others. That our lives can really be the overflow 
of the grace of God that's being poured into us. Our lives can be the overflow of the love of God spilling out of us and going into others. That our lives can be the overflow of the gentleness that we have received from You. That our lives can be the overflow of Your patience and Your your endurance with us. This morning while we're praying, you'd say, Pastor Josh, I want to walk in it. I want to walk in that love. I want that, that, that love to fill my life. I want to join my life with Jesus' life. Find myself in Christ. Friend, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you it's not going to cost you anything or there's nothing required of you. But I will let you know that your account will never go in the negative. You'll never have an overdraft charge. You'll never overdraft on grace. You'll never overdraft on forgiveness. You'll never have to pay him back. If you're saying, I would like to, I would like to pray and invite Jesus to forgive me and, 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 and bring me into his family. And I want to lead you in a prayer. You can say it out loud. You can say it under your breath. We're going to just make it real short. Just say, Jesus, I join my life with yours. Welcome me into your family. You've invited me to come. I accept your invitation. Would you fill my heart with your love? Would you fill my heart with forgiveness? Would you forgive me walking my own way? Would you teach me how to walk like you? I know I'm not going to get all of the, the, the points right on the scoreboard, but Every day, if I can walk a little more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Today, you may be saying, Pastor Josh, I realize that I'm not walking it out. I'm kind of like a plunger on the grace of God in my life. Just kind of stopped it up. Although that's not really what a plunger does. I'm sorry. Like a cork. That's a better illustration. Like a cork grace of God. I've just got it all bottled up. Today I want to uncork that bottle and just let it flow. I don't really know how to do that though. Friend, you just walk it out. Just walk in the grace that He's given. Just trust His presence. Trust His Spirit to lead you and guide you. It's not a magical formula (laughs) it's just a daily commitment this is God today I'm going to walk out of the love you've given me when I mess up and make mistakes I know that the love is still in the account when I find myself not being patient would your Holy Spirit just remind me I'm patient with you 
when I'm hostile and not gentle, would you just remind me, Holy Spirit, I'm gentle with you. Friend, it's a commitment to a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance and change, repentance and change, repentance and change. Lord, would you help us all, all of us in the room, those of us who are, who are trying to walk after you, to walk it out, to walk out what we're walking in. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray in your name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.